Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center. This is CM Alexander with the news. Today marks the anniversary of the city center massacre, and the identity of the Mercedes killer remains a mystery. Police have issued no statements as to progress in this case. Today's forecast, rain showers, so stay under that blue umbrella. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King book club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, CM Alexander, alongside Joshua Kahn. Hey, everybody. And Benjamin Graham. What up, constant readers? And today we are covering Mr. Mercedes through Under Debbie's Blue Umbrella. If you are following along, and if not, major spoilers ahead. And we have Josh leading our discussion. Yes, guys, I'm so excited. This is the first time I've read something that neither of you have. That can't be true. It there is, has to have been one thing. Nope. Everything we've covered on this show, minus needful things, is a first time for me. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I am really excited to get to talk to you guys about this. I feel like I'm really feeling how you guys feel when you talk to me about things. Because I know everything <laughs> that's going to happen, and you idiots are in the dark. Wow. He's really <laughs> arrogant about this. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry. The, the power's gone to my head. <laughs> But I'm so excited we're doing this book. So let's let's just jump right in because this book wastes no time in the very first chapter, Gray Mercedes. The the prologue's amazing. Full disclosure, I have read the prologue before. Years ago, I think when it first came out, I had picked it up and wait, is that the pro I guess that is just the beginning <laughs> of the book, huh? I was very confused. <laughs> for, for some a reason in my head, I thought of it as the prologue because years ago I picked up the book and was like I was like, I wonder if this is any good. I picked it up in one of our local chain bookstores. And I was like, I'll read a few pages. And then I look up and I've been standing in the middle of the aisle <laughs> for about 20 minutes, having read this first part about what happens at the city center. If you don't read all of this section in one sitting, I think you might be a monster. I agree with Because that. it's so <laughs> compelling. So it is... April 9th in 2009, we meet Augie Odenkirk, who, much like everybody else in town, is looking for a job. Luckily, our main character, Augie <laughs> <laughs> the character we, we are going to be fully invested from start to finish. And, and we he's all even know got this. a romantic thread. It's great. He sure does. He takes the, uh, the bus at 3 a.m. down to the city center for a massive job fair. And he knows that there are going to be so many people looking for jobs because everyone's being laid off. Everyone's going through really hard times. And Because yeah, this was written in 2010 when they thought things were bad. <laughs> <laughs> but the sign says that there are a thousand jobs guaranteed, right? So we're all, we're going great. Augie meets a lady in line, Janice Cray and her baby, Patty, who will also be main characters mm -hmm. throughout the show, the, the episode, I'm sure. And they, they settle in. And what did you guys think about this beginning scene with Augie and Janice and Patty? I really liked it because he seemed like a cool dude. And she was clearly struggling. And I love at one point, she's saying, you know, people probably look at me and wonder why I brought my baby with me at three in the morning. And it's drizzling. And she's trying to keep her dry and warm because she doesn't want her to get sick. 
And he had that thought, but he's not like in a judgmental way. He's not a jerk. And she's just explaining, you know, I couldn't afford the babysitter overnight and, and going through all this. And he has this thought like, well, you know, what if I go in with her and we kind of present as a couple, like we're married, I bet people would be kinder to her. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm excited to spend the rest of the book. <laughs> it's so good because they set up these two characters and first time reading, you're fully invested. Yeah. You are completely like, I. these are our two protagonists and they are in such a short period of time, very fleshed out. Mm -hmm. And... The next part, it it you are just as surprised mm -hmm. as they are. And I will say the second time through reading this, not to brag, but the <laughs> second time through reading this, the thing that struck me so hard is Ooh, when you phrasing. Oh, <laughs> when you look back at a lot of his dialogue, almost everything is plans for the future. Yeah. Mm. Everything he talks about taking them out to breakfast after this and maybe never seeing them again. The the how his life's going to be better after this if he can find a job. And all all of this talk about the future is dashed at 5 a.m. when suddenly through the fog, they see uh, apparently the very distinct headlights of a Mercedes-Benz, but the Mercedes, they all think that it might be the mayor coming to, you know, welcome everybody. This By this point, the line is like those, like an exhibit or like a ride at an amusement park where it just it's everybody packed in winding back and forth with these ropes confining them Like in. when I went to see Stephen King and get 112263 <laughs> signed. Yeah, exactly. And but so by this point, there are just hundreds of people in line and they think that the mayor's here, but the Mercedes instead blares its horn and then drives full speed into the crowd, tearing like he he kills eight people, including Augie, who throws himself on the sleeping bag that Janice and her baby are in. And isn't his last thought, I hope that Patty's asleep? Yes. Yeah. Jeez. It's, it's so, like, it's such a noble death for him, and all the more tragic in how fucking pointless it is. I get the, the idea, but, like, what he thought that was going to do against... Yeah. And when he looks up and says... He, he looks up to see if the car is veered off, and it's described as he sees a big black tire chew up his vision. Yeah. Oh, my God. King also does my favorite King thing uh, where he uh, is someone says uh, when they're standing in line and everything's OK. And some guy is like staring at her with this baby. And he Augie turns like, hey, mind your own business. And they're like, oh, yeah, this is Vernon or whatever. And then in parentheses, who will shortly have his arm torn yeah. from his body. <sighs> Fucking A. You know what we call that on this show? Yes. <laughs> I do, and I refuse to say it. <laughs> the city center massacre is just so brutal. And it's such compelling writing. It, probably one of the strongest opening chapters to a King book ever. Also completely unfeasible. You know how much <laughs> damage hitting a person with a car would do to your car that's german engineering my friend <laughs> as they are want to uh remind us of they they, they build them mercedes it's like uh, tanks it's uh what, it's what the is Dolan's he cadillac it? of mercedes we have three <laughs> car things in a row yeah we do <laughs> christine dolan's cadillac and mr mercedes uh, next up from a buick eight and <laughs> 
We're going to branch and off trucks. and do Nosferatu. Trucks. Uh, <laughs> my, maximum overdrive. Max, those are the same That's thing. That's the same thing. <laughs> Wait, what did you just say? I said trucks. Oh, I wasn't listening to you. That sounds right. <laughs> uh, now we meet our actual protagonist. We meet detired, oh, detired. <laughs> retired detective, debt rat, Bill Hodges, who is drinking beer, watching daytime TV, and playing with a gun. A character that we know, but have never met. Yes. Which is, I was really excited. I was really... To find out his name was Kermit. (laughs) (laughs) I was really excited until I got a peek into Bill's brain a little bit more. And now... Yeah. I'm a little frustrated by Bill. (laughs) I'm sorry. This is going to be my first tangent. Yeah, no. I'm right there with you. Bill, who I do like, for the record. I think he's an interesting character and probably a really good detective. He's watching trash television. And... I don't know why this came across to me this way. And I'm listening to it, so that could be it too. But Stephen King describes this reality TV show as if it is the mid-90s. <laughs> and we just found out, like, if this is new to us. And so he's describing these women who are fighting over this man. And this one comes out and she's wearing a dress. And you can just tell that under that dress is a tattoo on her back. Commonly referred to as a tramp stamp. So again, thank you, Mr. King, for clarifying what a tramp stamp is. And okay, it's like, yeah, whatever. But then another woman comes out and he notices that she has a tattoo on her ankle, which he also refers to as a tramp <laughs> So my question is, does Mr. Kermit think that all tattoos on women are tramp stamps or, or does Stephen King think that? That did make me laugh so hard. And I, in my head, want so bad to think it was purposeful on Stephen King. He's just like, because Hodges is described as this old school yeah. guy. He like struggles with her with the computer and is constantly just having these old man thoughts. Yep. <laughs> and I want to think that King was like, these are characteristics that he's giving them and they are not just the way Stephen King thinks. <laughs> but Stephen because, King is also kind of an old yeah, guy. <laughs> because, and I hope it is on purpose because it goes a little further than Tramp Stamps. Yes. Um, Bill is kind of a misogynist and maybe a little racist. <laughs> I, I think that's why I think these are character choices because the way you get to know Bill, it's he spent his entire life as a cop. Nothing Mm. mattered but being a cop. He's divorced. He has a kid that he barely talks to even after he's retired because just being a cop was all consuming for him. Mm -hmm. So I buy a little bit of the boys club stuff. I I also buy that this reality TV show stuff is brand spanking new to him. (laughs) I also imagine he's watching TV land and it's old episodes of Jerry Springer. Like real, real obvious. (laughs) It is very obviously Jerry Springer, Judge Judy and Mm. Dr. Phil who he refers to as the Nazi psychiatrist <laughs> for some reason. I support that. Um, yeah, for, for now, I'm going to chalk it up as it's the character and he'll show gross. But also, there's some other things that are not related to Bill Hodges that are kind of problematic later. Yes. We'll get yeah. into it. For sure. Retired detective, sitting there watching his shows. He goes to check the mail, and it's... 
coupons for a store, some other ads. But then there's a very specific letter. Sam, do you want to tell us what that letter is? It is so fun to listen to this letter being read. (laughs) Are you guys reading or listening? Reading. Reading. Okay. It is a letter from the Mr. Mercedes killer. And he is trolling (laughs) Bill. It's the Mr. Mercedes killer (laughs) just made me think of that scene in Arrested Development where... (laughs) George Michael keeps calling himself Mr. Manager. <laughs> he's just referred to as the Mercedes killer. I, I don't know why. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's me. I'm the Mr. Mercedes killer. No, we no, just, say, just Mercedes say Mercedes killer. killer. It's going to be Mr. Mercedes <laughs> yeah. killer for me throughout. Anyway, he writes Bill this letter. And it, I, I want to get into what is fascinating about this letter in a little bit, but... What I noticed right away in listening to it is that the narrator did an amazing job of adding what I assume are all of the weird punctuations and inflections mm-hmm. and turn of phrase that happens in the letter. And this this guy, you can tell he is just trying to present a style that cannot be traced back to him. Absolutely. That's... I. Now really want to go look that up and listen to it. Yeah, me too. Because I can tell you reading it, and I, I want to know if the the narrator nails this tone of voice, but reading this letter, all I could think of was, this guy's a fucking dorkus. <laughs> I, he, his style of writing is such that overwrought, I'm like, uh, I am very smart. He yeah. He, he took a letter. He took a writing course, <laughs> the same writing course as Harold Louder did. Y- yes. Yeah. He pulls off the "I live with my mom, who I also." Uh, and I have. Now, no was friends. that the tone you had in mind before you found that out? Because that'd be wild. Huh? I'm asking if that was the tone you'd piece together before oh. you knew he. Yeah, I was like, oh, some some incest is definitely in the horizon here. (laughs) In the horizon. (laughs) No, but it's he's trying to. So he's obviously been stalking Bill because he's saying things to him that indicate like I have been watching you and what he's attempting to do, which does not work. And and it kind of speaks to, Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. (laughs) He's trolling Bill. He wants him to commit suicide because Bill is very depressed. He has really nothing to live for or work for since he's retired. He's just watching trash TV. He's gained like 30 pounds. He's just eating junk food, not taking care of himself. And so Mr. Mercedes Killer sees Mm -hmm. this as an opportunity to play with him and off this guy and fulfill whatever need it is that he has to hurt people. And of course, instead, it pisses Bill off. Which is so great. And it gives him purpose. But what what I find fascinating about it is that often in, you know, when we're talking about Ted Bundy, Charles Manson, uh, Marjorie, whatever, the evil genius lady... We always say, oh, these people are so conniving and smart. They're they're geniuses. They're so intelligent. And I disagree. No, they're not. I think they are fucking stupid. <laughs> I love... It's a hot take. The yeah. <laughs> serial killers aren't actually smart. But we keep perpetuating that in, mm. in all of our documentaries and stuff. And it's so annoying. And I just love that Bill is like, well, you just pissed me off. And now I have something to live for, buddy. <laughs> you dumb piece of shit. <laughs> Sidebar. That evil genius documentary is so good. Oh, I know. Oh, dude, you need to watch it. it. It's about the lady in that group of people that blew up that pizza guy that one time. They're having Uh, him rob a bank. Yeah. And you see him explode on camera. Holy shit. Yeah, it's 
Oh, it's a really, really good one. All right. I sounded really voyeuristic right now. <laughs> yeah, you did a little bit. <laughs> it's you tragic. You just see a guy explode. <laughs> so in the letter, he drops a few important things. He points out that he was wearing a condom while he was doing it because it was erotic. It- um, he he mentions he poured bleach all over the mask. And wouldn't, isn't that funny how you guys all must have been shitting yourselves when you found out there was no DNA evidence. I did all this and this. And one thing that struck me, he refers to having a conscience as wearing a pair of lead boots. And I thought that was like a really fun, dark thing to say. It's so weird to get that peek inside of this mind, which we get, we definitely get more of because we have his point of view a little bit later. I also like, and I'm sure that this will come back into play, that he is confused, or maybe it's a different type of clue between the words perp and perk. So he keeps calling, he keeps referring to perp as a perk. No, I I agree. Uh, My favorite part of any serial killer uh, detective story is the chapters where you get that you get from the killer's perspective because Mm -hmm. it's just so compellingly dark and morbid it's the best part of books like uh red dragon yeah it's just naturally like picking at a scab or like (laughs) tonguing a sore tooth or something people like us who don't murder normal people can't fathom how you could do that to somebody and, and what would be going on in your mind. So it's fascinating to get a glimpse into that. Yeah. I was enjoying the book up until the first chapter from Brady's perspective. And then I did not stop reading until I was done. Did that surprise you both? Like we're getting a little ahead, but did it shock you that we got to jump and meet Brady and find out who he was? Not, not really. Like I said, last year, the year before, I went and read through all of the Hannibal series and that's kind of a staple of I, I kind of a, yeah of the genre i i kind of expected it um it did happen really soon <laughs> um but I, i'm glad we did because yeah. if it was all like it's kind of something i wished had been in the outsider a little mm-hmm. although that is a decidedly different take <laughs> yeah that'd on be the a crime very... novel yeah so back to the letter the the last important things are he ends it with an invitation if he wants to talk to the Mercedes killer that he set up an account for him at the website under Debbie's Blue Umbrella with the username KermitFrog19, which under Debbie's Blue Umbrella, a real website, and we'll talk about it next episode. Okay. So I'm going to put that little tease out there for you guys. Now I'm scared. (laughs) (laughs) Hodges takes the letter and he's trying to figure out what to do with it. Decides he's going to call his old partner, make plans to meet for lunch, and just not bring him the letter, but just see see if he can get any information, if any news has come out about the cases. I thought it was interesting because here, until so far where I've read, he continues to excuse the reasons why he is not telling the people who are active on this case about the letter. And one of them is that, you know, he knows that there will be no prints on it. And he wants to actually have evidence before he takes this to anyone. 
which I think is bullshit. I think he's mm. just doing it to latch on to that thing that he now knows is keeping him alive. Yeah. Oh, it's for sure because it, the second he takes it to the police, it's not his anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, we even get that later when he's talking to a security guard and he's like, if anything comes out of this, I'll go to the police. And he says if he'd looked in the rearview mirror, he would have seen himself looking up to the left. Yeah, I love <laughs> which that. Is that was a great so cool. moment. <laughs> let's, let's jump over to meeting Brady Hartsfield at, in the back of Discount Electronics where we meet him and Freddie Linklater as like he's Freddy. pretending to be a human. <laughs> I, I do like just real quick like Freddie and it it's so close to being good trans representation. <laughs> it's so close because <laughs> uh, Freddie is just like this big, tall person. One of the first things we hear is her, who we are said, told is a her telling off some religious freak that uh, she is a man that just wasn't given a dick. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, we got a trans character in a King book. That's great. That's great. And, but then everyone for the rest of the book keeps referring to her as a her. And I was like, "Mm, okay, she's him. So close. (laughs) Well, I don't know if she is necessarily, uh, I don't know. Maybe she hasn't taken that step yet to publicly identify herself as such. She might be himself. They. Yeah, she might be there. Anyway. He might be they. Oh she, my gosh, it's so hard. Yeah, pronouns, it's a they. Yeah. They are a they. Jesus Christ. <laughs> anyway, pronouns are hard. They are completely irrelevant to the story so far, other than they are Brady's friend. Well, it it just illustrates to us as if we need it made more clear, to, as he treats everybody this way. He is a bad person through and through. Yeah. Yeah. Brady sucks. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, do you have such to be a massive a, understatement? Yeah, like, do you have to be a murderer and racist? Can we just not have racism for it's, a little bit? It's uh, God, it gets worse. It is a lazy trope <sighs> of this person is evil. So it's the same thing as in the fucking shit. I'm so mad I have to talk to the, about the Dolan's Cadillac movie <laughs> again ever in my life. But the, oh, Dolan's evil. So we're just going to have him literally spout racial epithets sure. for mm-hmm. like two minutes. It's lazy writing. Gotta drive home that they're a bad person. Yeah. Uh, he is not listening to Freddie. He is instead thinking about Olivia Trelawney, who is the owner of the Mercedes that he stole and committed this crime with. And thinking about, you know, everything he did to her. He's thinking about the letter he sent to Hodges and how Hodges is reacting. And he's also thinking about uh, the time he killed his brother and his mom covered it up. No big deal there, right? Yeah. The the (laughs) offhand way that's dropped. Just, he's like, going over how uh, he's just like reveling while he's pretending to listen to people just like going over his crime and just getting such gross pleasure from it it sucks and then at the end of the chapter he's just like this is the first time he killed anyone since the time he killed his brother yeah and his mom covered it up and why shouldn't she because it was her idea and you're like wait <laughs> what yeah and then, like, later, he goes into his basement. He's like, that's the last place I saw Freddy. And, like, moves on. All of that is more intriguing than being racist. Yes. Yes. Far more intriguing. Uh, so now let's jump to the the meeting of old partners at a restaurant where Hodges pulls up and sits down for lunch with Pete and they shoot the shit. Ben, do you want to tell us about their lunch? I hate that King keeps making me like cops. <laughs> <laughs> 
because I do love these two characters. They have such obvious chemistry. Mm -hmm. They have the kind of chemistry that McNulty and Bunk have in The Wire. I know neither of you two have watched The Wire, but (laughs) I'm that guy. Uh, It's just that, like, two old cop buddies that give each other shit, but they are so obviously, like, in dude love with each other. (laughs) It's awesome. Uh, they sit down and Pete immediately is like, you want to talk to me about the cases that were open when you retired, didn't you? And he's like, <laughs> better than that, he writes, he has a folded <laughs> piece of paper and he just yeah. like stares at Ralph <laughs> until Ralph ticks off four things on his fingers and then he opens the paper and it's exactly yeah. in the same order that he said them. It's so great. The last, of course, being the Mercedes killer. Mm -hmm. Pete catches him up on how some of the cases have progressed. They're really close to nailing one of the guys. They've got some new information here and there. But with the Mercedes killer, they've got nothing. The investigation's dead in the water. Him and his new partner are still on the case, but nothing's come up. They talk about that. They've never gotten over the idea that this person would want to do something again. Even though in the letter Brady sent, he said he has no urge to. Uh, Hodges never believed that even before he read it in a letter. So they talk about Olivia Trelawney. And this is where we first get into the treatment. Oh, no. About how (laughs) Olivia Trelawney killed herself over a guilty conscience because it was her Mercedes. CM, do you want to talk about Olivia Trelawney? The look on your face says that you don't. You just put your hands to your forehead as though you suddenly had a terrible migraine. (laughs) which I agree with. This part is also bad. And I I need to talk through this with you guys because Mm. I need to understand if I'm just being, if I'm being a constant reader in the true sense of the word, if I'm being a little bit dense, or if there's something to this, because Josh, the way you phrase that is very kind, much kinder than they are about it. Mm. She feels guilt that it was her Mercedes. She feels guilt because these fucking cops Mm -hmm. basically did everything they could to illustrate to her and to tell her that it is her fault that all of these people died. It is Mm -hmm. not. Just Mm -hmm. because you leave your keys in the car or you leave it unlocked or whatever, even if you gave somebody your car to borrow, you cannot control what other people do. She did Mm -hmm. not cause it. She can't change it and she can't control it. Those are the three C's of recovery in Al-Anon. And if somebody had been kinder to her, she might not have killed herself. Definitely. And it drove me up the fucking wall. Yeah. How adamant Bill Hodges, our protagonist, is about what a piece of shit Mrs. Trelawney is because this was her fault. And so this again, okay, is this King using this device as a as a writer? Is he trying to say, well, yeah, man, she, you know, did this. How terrible. Or are we supposed to, is Bill not a perfect protagonist? Which is okay, but it, it felt like they were so much weight is being put mm-hmm. on this and it feels sloppy. So I need to know if I'm, if I'm interpreting it incorrectly. No, I bill in this case and in several other cases throughout the book is being a misogynist. Mm-hmm. He it is his absolute insistence that like he says multiple times, like she did this. She, she, he even says like she abetted this murder no and that's nonsense it is abs it is victim blaming in yes. such a massive way i hope holly kicks his ass whenever she shows oh, up God. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's the one thing is i am hoping that 
when Holly is introduced, it spurs the growth mm-hmm. because it, yeah, his, this, it's not. It doesn't feel like a. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like, feel a, like a character move. flaw to me. It feels like I, I don't know. It pulls me out, which is why yeah. I wanted to talk to you guys about it. Sure. I so I have I have a theory that may help you out. I think nobody can truly believe that this is Olivia Trelawney's fault. Yeah. Worst case scenario, she did accidentally leave her key in the ignition and leave Mm -hmm. her car unlocked. Accidents like that happen. The the reason it gets escalated so aggressively is one, Olivia Trelawney is very hateable. She's a stuck-up rich lady. Which is not also it's, nonsense. It's, right. Yeah, and that's not That's the misogyny part that I'm, I'm talking yeah. about. <laughs> well, that might not be a mis- It's not misogyny just to hate an uptight person, the, the, no matter what their gender I is. I bet only... if, if Olivia T- Trelawney was an Oliver Trelawney, they would not have given her nearly as much shit. Interesting. The only thing that she really did wrong that I felt was even a proximity of justification for their hatred of her was displaying more concern over her car yeah, than yes. the people who were murdered. That was shitty. But, yeah, but if, if she but was But that's a man, also her business, so fuck yeah. off. <laughs> but, like, if she was a man, it wouldn't have been like, oh, she's such a... Oh, a cold bitch. Cold bitch. just like, oh, he's an He's eccentric. practical. Yeah. Or he's practical. <laughs> no, what I think the bottom line is here, especially after we see what has, like, how things went down for Olivia Trelawney mm-hmm. afterwards, is that the frustration at the fact the city center massacre hurt so many people. It was such a horrible, tragic incident. The cops had no leads. They had nothing to go on. The only name that was in any papers, that was in anybody's mouth, was the one person they could identify who owned the car. So she got the brunt of all of their frustration at not having more to go on, not having a clue. They didn't have anyone else to blame. I I don't think it was a conscience choice to go after her like that. I think it was more of a subconscious choice. But like people egged and TP'd her house. They somebody spray painted killer cunt on her front gate or something. Like people are taking all this out on her, which is not right. Maybe I'm being naive Maybe I'm just weirdly not being the cynical person I am. (laughs) But, like, I don't think... If this had happened in real life, I'm trying to think of of an analog. Something... No one... Oh, okay. I I have something. It's not exactly the same, but uh, it goes back to another documentary that that has just come out recently. Have you watched the Hotel Cecil documentary? I just finished it. Okay. Uh, Essentially, a woman went missing at the Hotel Cecil... A lot of mystery behind it, and nobody knows where she went and all this stuff. But she's later found dead. Spoilers, and they're trying to figure out, okay, how the how did this happen? Well, it turns out there is a uh, a death metal musician who was staying at the hotel on that same day of the that same date, mm-hmm. and people Facebook and social media sleuths tracked him down, found out that he has songs about killing people. And even references something about killing someone of her ethnicity right after that. Yikes. And they uh, they sent him hateful they messages. Destroyed they destroyed career. his entire career, ripping him apart for killing this woman. Spoiler alert, he did not. And oh, because the, he was there the month and day 
a year prior. A year prior. Oh. Wasn't it wasn't even in the country. He was He's somewhere a death metal artist. Yeah. Of course his songs are morbid and, and these, dipshits. These people <laughs> destroyed his life because they were positive he had something they this this was his fault. I, I guess I can see that argument. You oh. you have someone you want to blame. You want to blame someone. I guess because I was trying to think. I was like, if if this exact scenario from the book happened in real life, I cannot imagine people being like, "That woman got her car stolen. How dare she?" I, I guess that's I, baffling to me. I needed someone, or maybe even our protagonist, or maybe just an outside narrator to step out of that a moment so that I didn't think Stephen King was trying to tell me yeah. that it just the way it's presented to us and written was a little ambiguous. Well, let, let's something else that happens right after this meeting. So this meeting we went on a huge tangent. This meeting between him and his partner essentially leads to nothing. And he sits at this restaurant for a while and kind of just zones out. He keeps doing this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> where the of everyone around <laughs> where him. Anytime, I do love That's this. Fun, that yeah. anytime he's like doing the detective thing where there's a long period of him thinking about the past or thinking things through. And you think, oh, it's just him thinking. But then people will walk <laughs> up to him and be like, sir, sir, you all right? <laughs> Very funny. But he, he finishes and he walks outside. And here's another thing that goes into this mm-hmm. where is it ralph being kind of just a bill i did that too <laughs> oops uh is this bill being just an old white man or is it the old white man that's writing the book being an old white man because we've been told that this restaurant is on the edge of the bad side of town which is also just like chill um <laughs> But he walks out and he's walking to his car and he sees these three guys roughing up this young kid with his book bag. Three trolls under a bridge. <laughs> uh, the, he, he doesn't state their ethnicity, but he does write these characters in literary blackface. And it sucks. There's no purpose for him to write in this friggin what old white men think black people sound like. Just write them as people. They don't have to have this goofy caricature voice. It This this was the same thing with you. Mm-hmm. It took me out of it and went, ah, King, have you ever met a person of color? Ever. Uh, but th- we get to see the happy slapper in action that, yeah. we, that you guys know that from The very, Outsider. I do enjoy that. I did like that he kicked their asses because they were being little punks. Yeah. Like, don't beat up yeah, it could have yeah. been such a good action scene because they're like, hey, fat man, get out of here, fatty. <laughs> and then he, he beats the shit out of him with a sock. And that's very entertaining. Mm-hmm. That's great. It's just the 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 writing. I was like, King, you don't got to do this. Right. We understand when you say they're roughing up a kid. Yeah, the race is irrelevant. Bad guys. Yeah, yeah. race yeah. doesn't have anything to do with it. Yeesh. Uh, we get a brief aside where we find out that Brady's has Brady has a second job as the Mr. Tasty Ice Cream Man in Hodge's neighborhood. Ooh, which I love because when Bill got the letter, the first thing he does is sprint to the window and look at everyone <laughs> driving by and goes, it's him, it's him, it's that guy over there. And one of the people just happens to be the ice cream truck driving yeah. by. 
Oh, that is great. fucking great. All right, that uh, takes us to the next chapter under Debbie's blue umbrella, where we get deeper into Brady's mind a little bit, where he thinks about poisoning all of the tasty treats in his ice cream. What is with ice cream trucks? <laughs> that they're inherently creepy like clowns? Uh, yeah, why, why? Is that a thing? Because they're, it's, they're a staple. It's because it's grown adults having access to children and the children just have this built-in trust of someone selling them ice cream. I guess. And for us people who are afraid of the world, sometimes that's not okay. Yeah, I, I just, it's such, I've always thought of it as such a strange trope. That is weirdly pervasive. There is only one good ice cream truck man. Watch Phantasm. <laughs> uh, oh my god. No, I haven't seen Phantasm, I don't think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can name like off the top of my head like five or six evil ice cream men. <laughs> and that's weird. It is weird. In Brady's rambling nonsense... He starts getting down to why Hodges bothers him so much. Like, they had a big party to celebrate his retirement. And he's like, why would you celebrate him? He, he didn't catch me, and I'm so fucking important. <laughs> and he, we get into more of his hateful racism, the hating Jerome and his sister Barbara. But this is the note I made as he's talking about how much he hates Jerome. He hates everything about his stupid, handsome face and perfect body and how he dates girls. Brady <laughs> wants to fuck Jerome. <laughs> Yeah, this the way he talks like that is the hate of somebody who wants to fuck Jerome. Uh, it's it. This is more of the I kept thinking, and I know I think I've said this about other characters, but this he is a herald. Sure, he yeah. has some real sexual hangups. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to those pretty soon. Yeah, must we? Yikes. <laughs> Hodges absently, absentmindedly drives to Trelawney's house and is thinking about if, for the first time, if she ever got a letter, as since he got one. And we meet Radney Peoples, the security <laughs> guard, who is hilarious. He's great. In this instance, Ralph uses his position Bill. as... I'm going to keep doing that. I told you they're very similar. That's weird because I didn't do that at all while reading the book. I never like confused the two. Anyway, Bill uses his position as a retired police officer. He knows what to do and what to say to kind of charm this guy and get him on his side. And it's so Mm. endearing. And once they have this like rapport, it's like, oh, cool. These guys are on the same team. They want the same thing. And I'm like, Oh, in real life, I fucking hate that. That sucks. <laughs> well, but why Why couldn't you have applied that same charm and camaraderie to Trelawney? Yeah, it, well... Because he had no common ground with Trelawney. A dick? Yeah. He, they he's, don't, they because don't he's a misogynist. Dicks. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> we'll go with that. Uh, but from, from Radney, we get the information that uh, Janelle Patterson, her sister, inherited her estate... She divorced her husband, moved to the house. Eventually, their mother, who has scoliosis, got worse. She moved into a nursing home. Janelle moved into the condo and put the house up for sale. He thinks, well, if the Mercedes killer did write Trelawney a letter, Mm -hmm. Janelle Patterson probably has it. So, you know, I'll see if I can find her. I really liked following this thread. Yeah. It shows that he is a good detective because we're told uh, over and over that he's like, one of the most city's most decorated detectives that he was really good at his job. 
and you definitely get the mm-hmm. the sense like he makes several like deductive reasonings that like I was like oh shit yeah that's really cool <laughs> okay now let's let's get into what I assume is the other tangent that CM has has locked and ready <laughs> this is what uh, after this Hodges goes home and he has uh, a letter another letter at his house but this one is from Jerome's alter ego and yes. before we get into Tyrone, I'm going to read, this is what, uh, how, how it's described in the book Jero- about Jerome. He doesn't want to be white, but being a gifted black male in an upper middle class family has presented him with what he calls identity challenges. It's a joke, but it's not a joke. Because I am white and uh, this is not my life, uh, I reached out to some friends of mine who have more experience uh, in life this way than I do. And just kind of bounced off of them, who this character is, what they're doing. And I was surprised to find out that the kind of the, summarizing it as identity challenges is fairly accurate. Code switching. Yeah. But the one that seemed most interesting to me, the, the, the one of the replies I got back was about that it is in a way related to comfort and control like it is i can take ownership of doing this and i do kind of find it funny that it makes you uncomfortable <laughs> but it is me mm-hmm. owning this thing and if i control it and i own it nobody can use it against so me so you're not applying it's a stereotype to me right. i am controlling it yes I, I i get to have all this control and then it all the another reply that i got uh had to do with the fact that a part of it could be so that when he does talk like that or do those things that other people around him are like, don't do that. You're better than that. And it's that, that kind of, that kind of reinforcement of you're good. Mm-hmm. Like you, you, you are good as mm-hmm. is. Okay. And it, so there are some really interesting, I, I kind of, it, I wouldn't want King to write more about identity <laughs> challenges, but I, I feel like, it's such an interesting concept and it's very hard to dance around it when we don't address it. Sure. The way King uses social media and posts and the thing, the values that he projects, Mm -hmm. I feel like with this, he would have been educated possibly about whether or not, like if, if he was doing this respectfully and appropriately. Right. So I'm not sure that I necessarily had a tangent on it. It did make me feel as a white person that I it, not in a in a negative way, but that I am very ignorant and, you know, maybe need to do some more listening just so I can understand. So I did actually appreciate that part of it, but then was left feeling like, do it, am I like upset on someone's behalf? Is that even necessary? Like, what am I doing? So we jump back to Brady, who's bringing pizza home to his mom slash girlfriend. Oh, presumably. Uh. Um. <laughs> I'm just gonna groan throughout yeah, this entire. It's it's, it's get gross. It out. It's gross. Uh, calls her ma, but still looks down the front of her nightgown and at her thighs. It's e- real everything gross. is gross. <laughs> um, so it's, gross. It's bad. He is so fixated on her underpants. And her reaction is, to him is uh, horrible. Yeah, that she like kind of smiles. And you're like, oh, this is all just this. This kid is him a little fucking. Tongue. See that? That's <sighs> the thing. I was like, oh, this kid is fucking sick. He's, We're seeing he's him a be sick, a victim. He's a sick here. mind. 
But when he goes to, like, give her a kiss on the cheek, which, whatever, that she turns Mm. and slips him the tongue, I was like, oh, this is a different thing altogether. This is... This is abuse. This is is grooming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's... It adds such depth to, like, why this dude is the way he is. Ugh, it's bad. This is where we get into, I think, some of the coolest stuff about Brady. If you can call anything about this character cool. (laughs) He goes to his basement and he has command words set up. Control turns on the lights. Chaos turns on his bank of seven laptops. <laughs> Fucking edgelord. Piece of shit. They all, which they all start counting down, and if the countdown reaches zero, it'll wipe everything off the computers. But darkness kills the countdown. He is a nerd. He's such a nerd. <laughs> such a fucking edge lord. Uh, there is a in my head. He has a neck beard. I know he doesn't. <laughs> but he's got a poster of the Enterprise behind him. Wait a minute. Uh, <laughs> First of all, don't uh, make me relate to this guy. Second, don't ap- talk about Star Trek. Apologize to the Funko Pop of. Uh, <laughs> Lakitas of Vore, right now. You apologize, Josh, or we're ending this. I apologize, Lakitas. Lakitas, oh my god. Uh, uh, Lakinta and I. You know what? Uh, we're gonna get kicked out of CM's right? house. Uh, but here's where we find out that Brady is an inventor. He nearly invented the Roomba. Yeah, which is weird. <laughs> But he also made Thing 1 and Thing 2. Thing 1 is a modified remote control that changes traffic lights, which is awesome. It's also a power that uh, they used in the craft. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Sure. It sounded cool Cool. in my head. (laughs) And Thing 2, all we know about it at this point is it's the reason he got the Mercedes. Mm -hmm. You kind of get the the gist. Right. I do love when he talks about the traffic light controlling and how he went to all this work to get it and then he ended up not needing it and it kind of pissed him off <laughs> i the the part where he, he's describing it and when he invented it he used it he would sit at traffic lights and just change them until he saw a car accident oh and like got a boner yep about it, it so reminds me crazy. he reminds me of todd from apt pupil and that last oh, scene where he gets yeah. the gun and he goes to the park to watch people yeah. Also, we find out in the closet, he has nine shoeboxes of homemade plastic explosives, like you do, along with a ball bearing full, a vest full of ball bearings and four pounds of explosives. That's fucked. Yeah, Yeah. it is. And also a weirdly interesting parallel between him and Bill that it's the same exact kind of ball bearings that he uses for his happy slapper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which I was like, what is is that, is that anything? <laughs> uh, the next morning, Hodges visits Janelle and her breasts. Yep, that's a perfect. <laughs> yeah. We can just move on. <laughs> How'd you guys feel about Janelle Patterson? I like her. Mm-hmm. I think that she's a, a fairly strong character. It's just a shame that we are going to probably continue to objectify her, but such is yep. life. And I like that she brought some humanity that I felt the whole time mm-hmm. to her sister's character. And she, of course, reveals you know, as Bill suspected that she did receive a letter 
And more than that, she received a similar invitation to join under Debbie's blue umbrella. What is tragic about this, because we talked about initially her her coldness, her her lack of concern over what was done with her car and just wondering if she could get it back. Mm-hmm. This shows a compassion and caring and tragic depth of someone who just wants to help someone else. And uh, the way that Brady abuses her through this chat and in this letter is awful. And if if the police had treated her differently, because he basically reflects what they have been saying to her. It, it shows just how strangely adept Brady is at reading people. Mm-hmm. Um, because, he does it in a sympathetic way. Yeah, uh, because uh, Olivia, where we come to understand, had severe obsessive compulsive disorder yeah. and anxiety and everything that comes with it. And that she became, she went on medication when she married her husband and went off of her medication after he had passed away. Ben, I'm sorry, can I interject? Because something yeah. you said just made me understand how I feel about the treatment of her, yes. the characters, and why the writing about it bothers me. This is where I wanted Bill to be like, oh, I fucked up. Yes. This was yeah. a human person. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing all these connections because he's understanding more about her. Mm-hmm. He's reflecting on... Yeah, I saw her kind of twitch and have these mannerisms. And this would have been a great place for him to feel guilt. And he yeah. should feel guilt. He kind of starts it because, but it was her idea. Yeah. It was her pro, uh, fault, wasn't it? And it's like, come on, man. Get with the program. You need to speed it up a little. Yeah. Yes, or you when fucked he's like, up, you dumbass. He's like, wait, that doesn't sound like someone who'd forget their keys. Ah, yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it shows that somehow Brady picked up on all of these things and that he knew that it would eat away at her, mm-hmm. her mental health. And basically blackmails her into the chat by being like, if you don't talk to me, I'll kill myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then she's still trying to help him. Yeah. Because uh, her sister shares that her mother mentioned one time this person she was talking to who she was trying to convince to get help for their problems. Yeah. In the end, Janie hires Hodges as a consultant because he's not a private detective. I wanted to pump my fist when this happens because I'm like, yeah. <laughs> she wants to get to the bottom of everything. And so he takes a copy of the letter and says, hey, next time your mom's having a good day, let me know. I'd like to talk to her. Maybe see if there's something we missed. I guarantee they missed a lot. Josh. The treatment that they gave her. If a dog dies in this next section we're reading, I'm out. It- the second oh. the dog showed up, I was like, that dog's I know. Uh, King, oh, this is Del. so infuriating. There are so many times, especially with like Brady and his mother, where I was really mad at Stephen King. And then I had to remind myself that he wants to upset me. Like, that's yes. the purpose of this that chapter. Is... It was one of those weird, like, you're reading a book, sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is Stephen King. Yeah. Yeah. Being... This... Being massively upsetting is kind of what he does. Because horror doesn't scare me. It's these other things that like mm-hmm. make me have a visceral reaction. It's brilliant. The next day, Hodges calls Jerome and thinks he's being slick by throwing a variation of the Mercedes case to Jerome, which Jerome sees right through. I want them to be partners. I, I love Jerome. <laughs> Jerome I is love so Jerome. fucking great. Now, okay, I was thinking of this. Because in The Outsider, Holly talks that Finders Keepers, which is what Bill Hodges eventually creates, mm-hmm. uh, I assume 
in the sequel, Finders Keepers. Yeah, good guess. Um, <laughs> he has a partner that Holly is involved with. And that he's out of the country at the time. I couldn't remember who it was. Don't tell us. I won't. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> I, was, I, was like, just... I was like, did we hear about Jerome I wondered in that The too. Outsider? And I almost went I, to look in I The think Outsider. She, I think she mentions Jerome okay. offhandedly, but other than that. Yeah, uh, I was I was too late. However, Jerome <laughs> is in If It Bleeds. So there's that. Oh. Uh, spoiler. <laughs> spoiler. <laughs> So they they bounce the case back and forth. We find out really how smart and how intuitive Jerome is. I love Jerome. Yeah. Jerome oh, is yeah, so cool. Sure. He's just as fast and just as naturally deductive as Bill. He's, what, 17? And he's yeah. already keeping up with <laughs> and He's that... way smarter than Bill gives him credit right. for because of Bill. Bill wants to keep him out of it, which I hate because it's like when you find somebody who has this natural, this knack for something like that, you are now their mentor. <laughs> right. But he he brings up a good point. If this shit does go sideways, mm-hmm. you're caught like yeah, you're going to go to an not, Ivy League school. He's not and, doing it legally. Right. Yeah. So it makes sense. Yeah. Jerome calls him later that night after doing some research on Under Debbie's Blue Umbrella and finds out some interesting information. He just has a name and that's the password. Yeah. It doesn't have a. A nope. username and a password. Nope. That's nonsense. <laughs> the websites don't work like it's that. Because it's just fully anonymous. Either way. Fine. Sure. <laughs> um, the website costs $30 a month, but because he has a username, that means somebody's already paid it. That's a steep fee. Yeah. And that just means, he's like, eh, that just means whoever did this is waiting for you, mm-hmm. which I found so creepy. It also means that it's like eight years before VPNs existed. (laughs) I I freaking love that Bill takes the time to figure out how he is going to respond to this guy Mm -hmm. and what he ends up doing. It is so smart and cool. The the patience and yeah, forethought that Bill puts into it is it's once again, it's like gives you the idea of this guy is fucking good at his job. He knows how a perk is going to respond. <laughs> <laughs> he, at two in the morning, Hodges gets out of bed, signs into the website, and just sends a message that says, withheld evidence proves you're not the killer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good. And it cuts over to Brady, who is up, who, who's unable to sleep and sees it, and he cannot comprehend his own amount of fury. <laughs> and it's so fucking great. It, it is satisfying in that way that when a villain that is written so well that you hate them so much mm-hmm. and then something bad happens to him, you're like, like you said earlier, I wanted to fist pump. You're like, fuck yeah. yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> Well, yeah. He, he thinks he's so smart and he's trying to play Bill, but Bill can see right through it. And it's like, because people who do this are stupid. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you guys... Serial killer stupid. Yeah, it's so- <laughs> serial killers ghosts. <laughs> ah, we've really connected it all the way around. <laughs> this is our final episode. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do. I do hate how he decides that he is going to pay Bill back for daring to claim that he is not Mister Mercedes. Yeah, but it's also really in Brady's wheelhouse oh, to course, react yeah. exactly that way. It, it was another moment where I was like, "Oh, Stephen King, you jerk," because he's. He's investigating now poison and how it affects animals. And he's he does a good job of stalking everybody to know their routine and, and what kind of makes them tick in a lot of ways. And he knows exactly how he can get to the dog and 
I'm just really not looking forward to it. So with this this talk of vengeance, what are what are you guys preparing yourselves for for the next few chapters? Me having to read about a dog dying. It's it's just a thing that's going to happen in a king book. I does king a king owns dogs, right? Yeah. I know he had a cat at one point. Did he have corgis? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he should know better. <laughs> I, I think that's I think why he that, knows it'll hurt so bad. Ugh. And I think that uh, he he's going to do this, and I think Bill's going to understand exactly what's going on, and I think that's going to pull Jerome into things a little more. And I think we're going to. I feel like the next section of this book is going to be really ramping up quickly. I I hope so because I have to say uh, I, I've said on here before I am a slow reader. I. F- forgot to start reading this until <laughs> about two days ago. And I read this 184 pages in two sittings, Hot which damn. is unheard of for me. Two sittings and five cups of coffee. It was just like, I didn't want to stop. I-, I told you guys before we started recording, I don't remember the last time I struggled this hard to not read ahead. Well, that is it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us next time where we read through Call for the Dead. For Joshua Khan and Benjamin Graham, I'm CM Alexander reminding you, always safe, never sorry. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to Mr. Mercedes Part 1. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, you can find us on social media at Dairy Public Radio and email us at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. Please check out our Patreon page for rewards and bonus episodes and our Etsy shop for exciting new merchandise. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.